0: Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she... Served them. In the opening chapter of Mark, we are provided not only with the introduction to the ministry of Jesus, but we also are given a glimpse, a day in the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, on that opening day of his opening ministry, he goes to the synagogue. The morning began with an explanation as Jesus preached with power. It continued with exorcism as Jesus demonstrates power over unclean spirits. And then the popularity of Jesus expands like wildfire in verse 28. And in the verses that follow, we find the master as he heals Peter's mother-in-law. The moment that she is healed, she helps. And the multitude begin to be filled with hope in verse 32 and 33. And so the day began when Jesus commands a demon to leave. And Jesus has authority, we discover, not only over unclean spirits, not only over demons, but over disease. And so it begins in the synagogue continues in the house of Simon and Andrew. And what becomes very, very interesting is that this house, in just a few verses, is going to become Grand Central Station. It's going to become a healing center in the town. And it's going to become a healing center in the region. I love church. I love the church service. But worship doesn't end when the church service ends. And I want you to note that when Peter, James, Andrew, John, they go to the synagogue. And I want you to understand how the day begins. It begins in worship with Jesus. But when it continues, the moment that they invite him home. So I'm going to ask you just a very quick question. Is that what you do? When you come to church, do you expect worship? Do you expect to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus? But do you make a conscious decision? Do you find it in your heart? Do you find yourself saying, Jesus, I want you to come home with me and I want you to be with me. I want you to be a part of my heart and I want you to be a part of my home. Have you ever extended that invitation? You see, the New Testament gives us brief glimpses of the many homes that Jesus visits. It it sort of has given me an inspiration, so to speak. I I've always I've got several books in my head. You know, one is called "The Power of Personal Testimony." I just finished a book, um, um, a little commentary on the Book of Jonah. But this prompted me to think about. Jesus visiting homes in the New Testament. Wouldn't that make a a wonderful book as we see Jesus following people into their homes? He goes into... Peter and Andrew's house. A little bit later, we're going to see him in the house of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. As a matter of fact, in John chapter two, at the wedding feast at Cana, in those days, they didn't have weddings in churches or synagogues, if you will. Most weddings took place in homes. In Luke's gospel, we're told of a short man in stature, but tall in faith. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector in Jericho. And whether he was weary of wealth or weary of the world, he found himself after hearing about Jesus that he wanted to find out more about him. And so like a child, he starts running down the street, but because he's short in stature, he climbs a tree when he discovers that Jesus is making his way into Jericho. And it's interesting. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 5, it says, and when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and he saw him. (laughs) Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, because today I'm going to stay at your house. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Sometimes Jesus comes at your invitation, but sometimes Jesus doesn't even wait for an invitation. All of a sudden, He shows up in your heart and He whispers inside of your heart, Guess what? I'm going to your house today. Jesus loves to visit homes. What will He find once He gets to your house? Strife? Contention? Difficulty? Pain? Argument? Argument? Dissension. What will he find when he gets to your house? Will he find something not exactly right? Worship invites the presence of Jesus in verse 29. The presence of Jesus brings hope to a home in verse 30. The presence of Jesus brings healing and then help to a house in verse 31. And then the presence of Jesus brings devotion and service to that house in verse 31. So in Luke's gospel... We also learn one of the reasons why Jesus came to the planet Earth. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's interesting to me. Jesus is looking to make a difference. In verse 29, look what it says. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. It's my understanding, by the way, that in a Jewish synagogue, when the service would start and continue, it would typically end right around noon. That means that when Jesus left with the disciples, they have been, may have been going for the afternoon meal. By the way, Jewish days in the Jewish culture began at about six o'clock in the morning. So six o'clock in the morning in their way of reckoning time would have been called the first hour. So seven o'clock would be the second hour. Eight o'clock is the third hour. When you get to noon, it's about the sixth hour. The text leaves us with the impression that Peter's house may have been very, very close to the synagogue. I've had the privilege of of going to Capernaum and visiting the ruins there and also to visit the archaeological digs that are taking place there. As a matter of fact, the distance between the synagogue at Capernaum and the so-called house that archaeologists have designated Peter's house is less than 75 yards. As a matter of fact, the Roman Catholic Church has built what looks like a spaceship over what they're calling the ruins of Peter's house. But I'm going to suggest to you that his house would have probably been very, very simple and very, very humble. Houses in that day and in those circumstances would have been very, very small, just little rooms, some only a little bit larger than 12 by 15 feet. The text, again, seems to indicate that as they're making their way, now I want you to think about this, the day begins with worship with Jesus, a powerful confrontation, but I'm going to also suggest something else to you, that the moment you begin to worship with Jesus, worship of Jesus isn't far behind. Because you can't stay very long with Jesus and all of a sudden you discover there's something extraordinary about this guy. There's something incredible and miraculous. It makes perfect sense that Peter and Andrew would invite Jesus to their home. But you know what also makes perfect sense? That Jesus would accept the invitation. That makes perfect sense. By the way, John and James are with Jesus. I think about that. Can you imagine these two disciples? They're following Jesus. Fast forward now, all of a sudden, two more generations. John is an old, old man, and he's been banished to the island of Patmos. And he receives a revelation, if you will, of the risen Jesus. And you, there's a particular passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus record, or John records the words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open... the door, I will come into him and I will have sup with him. That means fellowship. And he with me. Can you imagine they're coming to the door of Peter's house? And all of a sudden, Jesus rushes to the to the front of the door and goes. John remembers he's young again. He remembers Jesus knocking on the door of Peter's house. Worship with Jesus will result in worship of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus is recorded as saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus shows up at your invitation. Jesus shows up. Even when you don't ask, Jesus is there. Jesus shows up. By the way, worship and prayer doesn't bring the presence of Jesus. Jesus is present whether you worship or whether you pray. But isn't it true that as you sing and as you worship and as you pray, you begin to sense his presence. The reality that he's there. And in verse 1 verse 30, look what it says. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. Now we're given a glimpse into some of the details of Peter's life. You discover Peter has a wife. You also discover that Peter's wife has a mom. That shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. Most people have a mom, right? By the way, I grew up in a religious tradition where priests don't marry. And so it comes as a shock for some people to find out that Peter was married, that he had a wife. He probably had children. Clearly, he has a mother-in-law. The Greek word translated with a fever is interesting. It's the word pyre, soza which according to Thayer means a fiery heat. Similar words are translated flushed or glowing. It can mean to be on fire. We have a word, a cognate in our own language, in the English language, called pyre. Some of you have heard of a funeral pyre. It comes from the Greek noun pyratos, which again means fiery or flame and so the implication isn't that this isn't a simple fever but this is a rather severe fever maybe even a life-threatening fever have you ever had a life-threatening fever I had an allergic reaction to medication when I was in the eighth grade and when I took the medication the allergic reaction created a A fire inside of me, I I, I got a 99 degree temperature and then it went to 100 and then it went to 101 and then it went to 103 and at 104, my mother got seriously concerned and then it went to 105. At that point, my mother realized there's something really, really wrong. We have to take them to the hospital. And I remember they wheeled me into the hospital and I'm in the emergency room and I'm sort of checking in and out of consciousness. I am burning up. I am sweating and I am burning. And as the lights are going on and off inside of my mind, I hear a conversation taking place between the doctor and my mother. And the doctor says, this is a very serious issue. If he wakes up. If the temperature continues to climb, we can't expect him to be okay. Sometimes when a fever reaches 105 and 106, there's brain damage. So this is kind of an explanation to you of why I am the way that I am. But I did come out of it. By the way... (laughs) My mother wasn't a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but even she began to pray, Lord, help him, Lord, save him. And that's exactly what happens here. In the first century, Capernaum is a village that's on the northern shore of the Galilee. And there would have been many swamps. And as many of you know, with swamps come insects and with insects come fever. But most fevers typically aren't life-threatening, but some are. And look at that phrase in verse 30. And they told him about her at once. I like that. They didn't waste any time letting Jesus know about the suffering woman's condition. And by the way, it becomes probably a good idea for each and every one of us that we need to bring our problems to the attention of Jesus. You know, sometimes we're in a world where where someone says, hey, have you let Jesus know about this? Oh, Jesus knows about that. What are you crazy? Jesus knows about this. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think Jesus knew that he was going to be going to Peter and Andrew's house? Do you think he knew that things weren't going to be exactly right once he got there? I think that the answer is yes. And you may know that you know that you know. But let me suggest something to you. It's always a good idea to bring it to the attention of Jesus. The presence of Jesus in the house brings hope. The moment that you know that Jesus is there, there's a sense of excitement and a sense of expectation. The presence of Jesus brings hope. And I want you to think about that. Do you think they asked Jesus to heal the woman? Do you think Peter and Andrew We're thinking, well, we've got Jesus here. Uh, mm, What do you think? Should we ask him? Or was this an apology? Can you imagine? They brought it to Jesus' attention. Jesus was so sorry. Normally, my mother-in-law makes the afternoon meal I am so sorry. She is sick. I don't think we're going to be able to eat, at least at the time that we normally do. By the way, Jesus, my mother-in-law has been banned from all the casinos at Capernaum because all of the chips are on her shoulder. Okay. I heard the groan. Okay. Two guys enter a pub. One guy says, "My mother-in-law's an angel." And the other guy goes, "Mine's still alive." A man takes his dog to a veterinarian, and uh, he says, "Could you please remove this dog's tail?" And so the the vet performs a a special examination and he examines the dog's tail. And he says, there's nothing wrong with this dog's tail. This dog's tail is absolutely healthy. Why in the world would you want to remove it? And the man says, my mother-in-law is coming over this afternoon and I don't want anything in the house that will tell her she's welcome. Okay, I'm going to suggest to you that that's not the conversation that took place. But I'm also going to suggest to you something that might surprise you. That Jesus is going to take the initiative. I'm going to suggest to you that it was always Jesus' intention to touch her and to heal her. That Jesus knew that he was going to be at the worship service that morning. That Jesus knew he was going to confront an unclean spirit. That Jesus knew that Peter and Andrew were going to invite him home. That Jesus knew that, her, that the mother-in-law wasn't exactly well. And Jesus knew that he was going to touch her and that he was going to heal her. And that becomes part of the point of the whole process. He is going to touch her and she is going to be filled with gratitude. And Jesus knows what's happening at your church and Jesus knows what's happening in your heart and Jesus knows what's happening in your home and Jesus knows whether he's welcome or not welcome and Jesus knows whether or not you know that he's there and whether or not that he cares. I'm often asked, probably a week doesn't go by, that I'm not asked on my radio show, well, what does the Bible have to say about healing? Does Jesus heal today? What about healing on demand? And the Bible, by the way, has a great deal to say about healing. And as we make our way through Mark, we're going to have a lot more to say about healing. Throughout church history, men like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Tertullian and Origen make frequent references to people who pray and receive healing. And so the healing doesn't just take place during the time of Jesus, and it doesn't just simply take place during the time of Acts. As we come to the end of the first century, as we come to the end of the second century, people are praying and they are receiving answers to prayer. Warren Wiersbe in a simple sentence wrote, quote, Ultimate healing and the glorification of the body are certainly among the blessings of Calvary for the believing Christian. Immediate healing is not guaranteed. God can heal any disease, but he's not obligated to do so. This last week, at an earlier service, a man came to me. And he said, I've been diagnosed with cancer, with liver cancer. And he said, but I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. I have children. I want to see them graduate from high school. I want to see my grandchildren. And I said to him, you know what? In 1990, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she said almost exactly the same thing. You know what? I'm certainly willing to do whatever God wants me to do. But guess what? I want to see my kids graduate from high school. I want to see my grandchildren born. And that's exactly what she did see. We give all the glory to God. We give all the honor to God and all of the praise to the Lord. We are called to divide the sorrow and share the joy. We are called to remember one another and care for one another and pray for one another. Do you believe that Jesus cares for you and that he's willing to help you? Now, I want to remind you of something. This is the opening chapter of Mark, and this is the first day in the ministry of Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question Do you think that his disciples are fully aware of all of his compassion, and all of his love, and all of his mercy, and all of his power? I'm going to suggest you're right, that they don't have a clear picture and a full understanding. And I'm going to even ask you, maybe you don't have a full picture of His love and His care and His grace and His compassion. Maybe you don't have a complete picture of how much He loves you and cares about you and thinks about you. But I'm going to suggest something else to you that through this experience and other experiences like it recorded in the in the Bible, the disciples are going to begin to learn the lessons of bringing their problems to Jesus and then trusting him to provide an answer and a solution to their problems. And so the journey begins. And so the ministry begins. But also the pain and the problems and the disease begins because right from the start, you are going to be left with an option. And the option is to tell Jesus what's going on and trust him for an answer or to ignore Jesus and try to find an answer for yourself. My advice, right from the start, bring your problems to Jesus. Look to Jesus for the answers to your problems. I'm also going to suggest something else to you. The moment that you are aware that Jesus cares about you, something awakens inside of your heart a sense of hope, a sense of expectation. And look at verse 31. Look what it says. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left and she served them. Every word in the sentence is important. The compassion of Jesus is revealed right from the start. He came. Jesus showed up. He took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her. The presence of Jesus, the touch of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the power of Jesus and the illness goes away. And I want you to note just a a couple of things while we're looking at the sentence right from the start. Jesus immediately responds to the request. He came immediately, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, if you will. There is Jesus in the bedchamber with Peter's mother-in-law. Now, like I said, homes in the first century were very humble, very poor, very simple. Don't imagine a separate room. There may have been a separate room. But it's not necessarily the case. A lot of people had to share what little that they had. And I also want you to note something else. Right from the start, Jesus doesn't ask questions and he doesn't lay down conditions. Don't you find that interesting? He doesn't say, has your mother-in-law been drinking? Has she been rude or mean to you? Do you think she's worthy of my touch? Do you think she's worthy of my presence? Now, again. At this point, Peter doesn't have necessarily a complete picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Let's just for purposes of discussion concede that he may have an incomplete picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Does he know that discipleship means surrendering his life? Does he know that discipleship means surrendering his home? Does he know that discipleship means surrendering his family? Maybe not. Do you know that? Are you aware of that? Jesus is a guest. But remember why he's a guest. Earlier that day, Peter was at worship with Jesus. A little bit later, Jesus is invited to his home. Now, I want you to think about that. With the invitation comes His presence, and with the invitation comes His power. The touch of Jesus is full of care and full of compassion and full of authority. How different is that than the modern frauds and the total charlatans who pretend to heal in Jesus' name? But they do weird and stupid things. You know, I won't mention any names, but there's this so-called guy who says he has the power to heal, but he punches his people like they're victims. He's been seen kicking them in the face, bullying them into confessing professions of healing that really aren't real. You know what happens when you have frauds and charlatans who put on a dog and pony show for healing? They have to come up with bigger and better extravaganzas. But that's not how Jesus heals. Jesus shows up. Jesus makes people whole and well. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, "You are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power." In Acts 10:38, Luke writes, "How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus doesn't have to put on a dog and pony show. Jesus possessed the power to heal Peter's mother-in-law. And one of the reasons that Jesus was able to help was because Peter was open. He opened his heart to Jesus and he opened his home to Jesus. And then he opened his hope to Jesus. A lot of people want healing. But they're not willing to open their heart. And they're not willing to open their home. And they're not willing to open their hope to Jesus. Can you imagine how things could have been really different if Peter had missed that simple opportunity? Imagine he gets news ahead that his mother-in-law is sick and he's going, Our meal ticket has gone Jesus today. You're going to have to go to Chipotle. You know, there's nothing at our house. Cupboards are bare, refrigerator's gone. You're gonna to have to go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, that's right, Jesus, Chick-fil-A's closed. But he doesn't do that. What can the touch of Jesus do? Here's what we're gonna discover that the touch of Jesus can cleanse sin. That people who are hurt and empty and guilty we're going to discover that the touch of Jesus can cleanse leprosy. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, it says, And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. His touch will bring sight to the blind. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knows it. his touch has the, heal, the, the power to bless. In, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says that they brought the young children to them. And that this is what the text says. And he touched them and he blessed them. The touch of Jesus bringing Cleansing, the touch of Jesus bringing wholeness and wellness. The touch of Jesus bringing blessing. Like I said, almost all fevers eventually go away. The servant heals. And when the healing takes place, look at the outcome. The woman gets up and serves. The word serve is diakonos. In the, in the book of Acts, it's going to be used, it's the same word that's translated how Stephen would wait on tables as he ministered to people. I can see the picture. Peter's mother in law probably is just like every Jewish mother in law or grandmother or, or an Italian grandmother for that matter. There she is. She gets up and her face is glowing. Not from the fever. But from wholeness and wellness, every Sunday afternoon, my family, we would go to my grandmother's house. And there she was at the door with her face glowing. You hungry? I'll to something special for you. Hey, you come in. And no matter how little or how much you eat, she always gives you more. By the way, when you're in an Italian grandma's house, and she, if you don't want Anymore, you have to pull a gun on her. Back off. I said no more. If you say no, you get a little more. If you say maybe, you get a lot more. I can see this happening with... With Peter's mother-in-law, she's back. She elbows her way past the astonished onlookers and she heads directly for the kitchen because guess what? It's fish tacos. The master is hungry and she has a job to do. And you know what I suspect? I suspect she was really, really good at her job. The presence of Jesus brings hope to a home and the presence of Jesus brings healing to a home and the presence of Jesus brings devotion and service to that home. Let me ask you a question. When you invite Jesus into your heart and then when you invite Jesus into your home, is it a selfish home? Is it a child centered home? Is it a Christ-centered home? If you want it to be a Christ-centered home, then you're going to have to put Christ at the center of your home. And look what happens. We're healed for a purpose. She gets up and she serves. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. We are made whole and well, not so we can just simply serve ourselves. The Lord doesn't heal us in order to indulge our fantasy or our whim or to pass the time of day. Jesus heals her so that she might be devoted to him and so that she might become a servant to all. Oswald Chambers was right when he said that we aren't built for ourselves, but for God. Not simply for service to God, but for God. You exist for Him. Your mind, your heart. In Titus chapter two, verse two, Paul would write, That the older men be sober and reverent and temperate, sound in faith and in love and in patience, and that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, not and but teachers of good things. I'll bet you there are many people who are suffering under the burden of affliction. There are so many people who suffer and they want a clear mind and they want a clear heart. They cry out to the Lord and they say, I just want to be well so I can love you and serve you. The Lord Doesn't ask about your ability. Only about your availability. And if you prove your dependability. The Lord will increase your capability. You know the head grows. By taking in. But the heart grows. By giving out. I am so happy. To provide for you a fat head. But I got to tell you something, I think Jesus is looking for a fat heart for your heart to grow and it will grow. By the way, it will grow in direct proportion to your willingness to serve the Lord by serving your husband, by serving your wife, by serving your children. You know, Sam talked about how many senior pastors started off life in the children's ministry. I spent two and a half years teaching the fifth grade. And I've also reminded you that it could very well be that your passion is your calling. The truth is that what you love to do, what you're passionate about doing is probably exactly what God has called you to do. William Barclay wisely said, in the time we have, it is surely our duty to do all the good we can to all the people we can in all the ways that we can. To say well is good, but to do well is better. To do well seems the spirit. To say well the letter. Say well is godly and helps to please, but to do well is godly and gives the world ease. David Brainerd wrote in his journal, As long as I see anything to be done for God, life is worth having. But oh, how vain and unworthy it is to live for any lower end. David Brainerd came to the United States of America to serve as a full-time ministry to the Native Americans. He worked tirelessly in their service. And at the age of 27, he caught a fever. And the fever took his life at the age of 27. 27. And you would think, what a man, what a godly man, what a passionate man, what a God-honoring man. As a matter of fact, his journal was read by John Wesley. His journal was read by George Whitfield. His journal served as the devotion for those people who preached to a brand new land. And a revolution came and also an awakening came. You never know what God has for you. But God has something. Does it shock you that Jesus delights in being invited to your house? Does it shock you? That he's willing to accept the invitation. Does it shock you? That He already knows what's in your heart. And He already knows what's in your home. And He already knows about the pain and the pressure and the problems. He already knows about it. And all He wants you to do is to come to Him and tell Him about it. And let Him touch the situation. There's an old poem that I love by Myra Brooks Welch. It says... It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar. Did I hear two? Two dollars. Who will make it three? Three dollars once. Three dollars twice. Going for three, but no. No. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up a bow. Then, wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it up with its bow. One thousand one thousand do I hear too? Two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice going and gone, said he, and the audience cheered, but some of them cried, We just don't understand. What changed its word? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man. With life out of tune, all battered with bourbon or gin, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and he's almost gone, but the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand The worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. How could something so common? How could something so ordinary? How could something so impoverished be worth so much? And it happens the moment that you extend an invitation. Into your heart. And then into your home. Hope springs up. Healing becomes a possibility. Wholeness and wellness that you thought could never ever come. Suddenly. Is there. You know we think about the sacrifice of mothers. And it's true. And we think about the diligence of mothers, and it's true. Think about the sacrifice and the diligence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lays it all on the line in order to intervene for you and for me. This last Friday, I called my mom. And I told her a little bit about the message that I was going to be giving today. I found some notes called lessons from my mom and I read them to her. I said, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me about religion. You better pray that stain comes out of that carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me about logic. Because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me more about logic. If you fall out of the swing and break your neck, you're not going to go to the store with me. My mother taught me about foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear. You might be in an accident. My mother taught me about irony. Keep crying. I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me about contortionism. Will you look at that dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me about the weather. This room of yours looks like it's been hit by a tornado. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. I told you once, I have told you a million times, do not exaggerate. (laughs) My mother taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to stay that way. And then when I read this one to my mother, my mother taught me genetics. You're just like your father. My mother's, oh, I've never said that. <laughs> and my favorite, my mother taught me about justice. One day, you'll have kids, and they'll be just like you. She was right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're strangely aware that our children will become very much like us. Lord, will we be men and women who invite you into our our hearts and into our homes? Because we know that with your presence comes hope. And with hope comes expectation. Expectation. And I know, Lord, that many of us are in different places in our journey with you. But Heavenly Father, we are beginning to understand that if ever there was a time to love you, and if ever there was a time to trust you, and if ever there was a time to cry out to you, if ever there was a time to bring our problems to you, and to expect that you're going to find the solutions to those problems, Lord, we want to do it now. And Lord, I pray for each and every person here. Lord, I pray that that's exactly what they would do. Even if they do it reluctantly, Lord. I pray that they would invite you into their heart. With the expectation that you're going to accept the invitation. That you will invite them after the service into your home. Into their homes. Even though they understand that things may not be all well. At home. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to bring these things to your attention. That we would be willing, oh so willing, to tell Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.